today we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to take a short chunk of scripture and then we're going to do a little bit of a systematic theology class. All right, ready for this? So uh, let me just open us up with the prayer uh, for illumination and then uh, we'll jump into this text. It says, O God Almighty, the Father of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, would you give us now an undefiled body, pure hearts, and watchful minds. Grant us the knowledge that always points us to truth, as well as the influence of the Holy Spirit for gaining and enjoying that truth in your peace and your assurance. We ask this through Jesus Christ, by whom glory to you in the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. All right, you guys, I know I'm the only like football nut job in here. I was the only guy who woke up today and then watched football until I left for church, uh, probably. But you guys know at least a little bit about football. Does everybody in here know who Peyton Manning is? Who's Peyton Manning? Quarterback, giant head. Pete Davidson said he looked like if football players evolved to not need helmets. <laughs> all right, so he's like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, pretty good on SNL, too, by the way. Um, anyway, so do you guys know who Eli Manning is? His little brother. What did Eli do? Yeah, they both. Let's see. I wrote some stats down. Peyton is a five-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champ. You guys know what the Pro Bowl is. It's like the all-star game for football. 14-time Pro Bowler. Eli is a two-time Super Bowl winner, two-time Super Bowl MVP, been in the Pro Bowl four times. Do you guys know who Cooper Manning is? Nobody knows who Cooper Manning is. <laughs> the third brother. He works for something called AJ Capital Partners, a real estate company. Uh, he was actually the best athlete, though, of the three, apparently. And he got into college, and I think he was just starting in college. And he had an injury, and he went to the... He had to go to like the spine doctor, I think it was. And they said, hey, if you ever play football again, you could die from that. So he stopped playing football. And uh, now he works at a real estate firm. Their dad, Archie, by the way, is also a NFL quarterback. So the four of them sitting around, boy, I bet Cooper feels like when I sit around with my dad and brothers who are all accountants and does finance and stuff, and I don't know what they're talking about, you know. Anyway, the point is, we all know Peyton. We all know Eli. And nobody knows Cooper, man. You guys didn't even know there was a third brother until right now, did you? Right. The th um, I think that's how the church in America, for the most part, treats the Holy Spirit like Cooper Manning. We didn't even know he was there. Right. Or, uh, you know, we kind of forgot about him. He's the third, the over there brother. You see him sometimes they'll show him in the um, luxury box at a game where P Peyton and Eli are playing each other. But for the most part, our churches don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. That's what we're going to talk about today. I want to read this to you. Francis Chan wrote a book. The last time I taught Acts at my old church, I actually made everybody read this book. It would be a good one. I think I'll get a few and put them on the table there. This would be a great book for you guys to read as we do with the book of Acts, kind of to pair along. This is from the beginning of, uh, I think it's from one of the first chapters there. Um, it's, his book has the best name for a book ever, by the way. It's called The Forgotten God. I love that name. Anyway, he says, The benchmark of success in church services has become more about attendance than the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
the entertainment model of the church was largely adopted in the 80s and 90s, and while it alleviated some of our boredom for a couple of hours in the week, it filled church services with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. If I were Satan, and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. After all, if the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop him. If he doesn't move, we will not produce genuine fruit, no matter how much effort or money we expend. The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes a purely human creation. We are not, uh, we are not, sorry, we are not all, what does that say? We are not all we were. Oh, I see. We were not all we were made to be. There we go. I got confused there with the line break. We were not all we were made to be uh, when everything in our lives and our churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. I think in churches in America generally, though, this is actually how it works. We've seen two extremes. We said there are some kind of evangelical folks who are um, uh, all about the Holy Spirit, and that's all they talk about at church is the Holy Spirit this and the Spirit that and filled with the Spirit this. And then you go to their churches and everything in there doesn't look anything like what the Bible says church should look like and their relationships and the way that they do church. It's filled with all kinds of garbage that's not clearly is not the Holy Spirit because that's not who he revealed himself to be. And then you have other churches. And the other side of that is who a church like ours is going to be tempted to be, where we just put the Holy Spirit off in a corner and pretend like uh, he doesn't exist. And we we use phrases like, or, you know, like I'll pray sometimes, filled with the Holy Spirit. But like, what do we really mean by that? How is our church practically uh, in the power of the Spirit? Um, what we want to do is... And what does that even look like, too, to be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, what I don't want to do is have you guys go, okay, I heard about this from some crazy church that doesn't know what they were talking about, and that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, barking in the aisles or whatever, stuff like that, you know. That's a real thing, by the way. Um, so what we want to do is we want the Spirit to tell us who He is through His Word. Um, there's another book uh, J.D. Greer wrote. Oh, I forget what that book Jesus Continued. Uh, like, what is the book called? Why the Holy Spirit Within You is Better Than Jesus Next to You, or something like that. Uh, he said this, uh, I once heard a Christian leader say, better to spend one hour on your knees pursuing the Holy Spirit than ten hours studying the Bible. That's tweetable, maybe, but very wrong. <laughs> better to spend one hour on your knees pursuing the Holy Spirit through the Bible. Scripture invites you to a, a relationship that involves both Word and Spirit, each being indispensable um, for the other. So the idea is what we want to do is we want to, and we're in the book of Acts, which is the Holy Spirit is a major theme in the book of Acts. And so as we read this, what we want to do is ask God, who is the Holy Spirit? Who are you? What do you do? How do you work in our churches? That's what we're going to do today. So here's our text for today. We have a shorter text. I want to walk through it just real quick. And then we're going to jump into kind of a whole theology of the Holy Spirit today. So when the, when the day of Pentecost arrived, now Pentecost was a Jewish festival uh, that was 50 days after Passover, and it celebrated the giving of the law at Sinai 50 days after the first Passover. So there was the first Passover, God saved his people, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, all that, then they ended up at Mount Sinai 50 days later, and they received the law from God. And the idea is this, these two twin kind of, um, it goes along with Passover, these two twin festivals. First, God saves his people, and then he gives them what they need to live. Right? So he saved them at Passover, then he gave them the law. And that pattern is the same here. There's a reason 
that Christ died the weekend of Passover, and there's a reason that the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. These were Jewish holidays. And he's saying this is kind of the new version. We have the new Passover with the new Passover lamb, and then we have the new God providing for what his people need to live. And uh, this is going to be the falling, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it says, uh, the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were together, they were all together in one place. So we read about this last week. What were they doing all in one place? Praying? No, watching Peyton Manning. No, yeah, they were praying. Um, They were hanging out and they were praying. And then suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven. So this is where it comes from. This is not a human thing. They came from heaven, the sound like a mighty rushing wind. So there was this sound and it was loud. You ever been in a room where there was a loud sound that nobody was expecting? Like a boom or something? Um, We missed him. Was it last week? The guy was throwing pipe bombs in the neighborhood. We were all in church while that was going on. They, the cops were chasing him up the street here, and he was throwing pipe bombs, and everybody heard it. And somehow we didn't hear it because um, you guys were all sleeping during the sermon. I was the only one that heard it. Just kidding. I saw a preacher the other day say that. Like uh, Somebody asked him if he could do miracles. He was like, yeah, every week I cure insomnia during church. Anyway, um, so anyway, there's this loud sound, and uh, it says, uh, it sounds like a wind, the wind. Now, this is a play on word because in Greek, uh, the word wind and spirit are the same word. There's only one word for both of those things. So you have to figure out from context, which is it. And uh, so the sound came through. It sounded like the wind, but what was going on was the spirit. And verse three, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now we did a sermon a few weeks ago, like at the end of Ezekiel. And so originally I was going to just completely do that sermon again, but I decided not to. If you want to go find it, it's Ezekiel 40 through 46. I'm going to give you the quick rundown of what that sermon was about. It was a sermon about the temple. And what what I said in that was um, when we open up the Bible, we read about the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was the place where heaven and earth connected and overlapped. And the presence of God was there and humanity was there. And we, as a a people, right, we had access to heavenly things because we were in Eden. But then with the fall and sin, we were separated from the Garden of Eden and from that sort of perfect world. And uh, um, God, though, in his graciousness said, you know what I'm going to do, though? I'm going to keep giving people glimpses of Eden. And so he would show up all the time in the Old Testament uh, with fire. Every time you see God, it's fire, right? You, the burning bush, what happens is God shows up with fire. And then there's Sinai, where God comes and he gives the people the law and he shows up in this pillar of fire and he leads his people through the desert in the pillar of fire. And then what he says, though, is I'm going to create a new Eden for you guys. And that's the tabernacle, which was this tent complex where they would meet. And when they built the tabernacle the first time, the fire of God's presence came down and consumed the sacrifice in the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle was the overlap between heaven and earth. It was the place where there was that that crossover with the two, and it was where the very presence of God lived. And then the tabernacle continued around for a while until the time of Solomon, he built a temple. And when Solomon built his temple, they put a whole bunch of sacrifices out, and then that fire came again, and it engulfed the sacrifices. And so we have this picture throughout the whole Old Testament that God shows up in fire, and he shows up where heaven and earth overlap. But what we did in that Ezekiel sermon was then we jumped it to the New Testament, and we said, I talked about this passage specifically. Something really interesting happens. If you have that imagery in your head, God shows up to the temple with fire, and then you read Acts chapter 2, what just happened? 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is what happened at the tabernacle. This is what happened when they built Solomon's temple, is that the presence of God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell within you. Except here, it's not within a place. It's not a building. Here, it's people. And the New Testament picks up this theme. The people are the temple. We are the place that where God's presence dwells. And that starts. Here's the kind of the starting place uh, for that. And it's amazing. This is what happens. It rests on each one of them, right? There are no, I don't like the um, whole idea of sainthood. You know why? Because the word saint is basically just means like a Christian person in the Bible. All the saints in Ephesus or whatever, you know? It, there's, no, there's no levels here. Who showed up? I mean, when the fire shows up and rests on these people, well, who does it go? To everybody, right? Everybody has this access to the presence of God. And uh, verse 4, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I like the language. I think that language of being filled is very important. Um, he could have said, they all received the Holy Spirit. And what would have changed? Is the amount of the Holy Spirit? I, uh, but no, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, that's important. It's always filled. And when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is they speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're going to talk about this more because we're going to do Acts 2 for four weeks. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But this speaking in tongues wasn't some weird babbling. Like, you know, you can go on YouTube and watch a video about how to speak in tongues. You can find this. There are classes at churches, at like kind of hyper Pentecostal churches that will, you can go take a class on speaking in tongues. I had a professor in college say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And what he meant by that was some sort of heavenly language kind of thing. But here in Acts chapter 2, we'll talk about that more later on in Acts, but here in Acts chapter 2, this is not some sort of weird babbling where, like the YouTube video or the class, it's like, pick a word and say it over and over. Have you ever done that? Supposedly, 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 supposedly. And then eventually it's like you do it fast enough and long enough and then all of a sudden you're speaking in tongues, right? That's that's what the YouTube video said. <laughs> I should post that. It's hilarious, you guys. Anyway, uh, it's like from the 80s, like a VHS tape you could order on how to speak in tongues, you know? Anyway, uh, that's not what this is. What this is is they're speaking the gospel, they're praising God, and they're speaking gospel truth in a language they don't understand. And we'll see there's people here from all over the world and they're hearing it in their own language, right? So if I was talking in this sermon, and then all of a sudden you guys were hearing it in Cantonese or whatever, you know, I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> John doesn't know Cantonese, and that's the miracle, because yes, I'm too stupid to learn another language. And that's what they're going to say. Aren't these just a bunch of rednecks? How do they know our language, right? And then they say, they also go, Aren't, or maybe they're drunk. And I was like, I don't know anybody that ever got drunk and then learned Cantonese. So, um, <laughs> so we'll talk about that later, but that's what this is. Um, it's for ministry. Okay, so that's our passage. One of the most important moments in the story of redemption. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, shows up and he fills each one of these 120, that's all there are at this point, 120 people in this supernatural way. But again, this whole passage and this idea of being filled with the Spirit is one of the most abused sections of Scripture as well. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at what does the Bible tell us about who the Holy Spirit is? And we're going to do that. So we're going to do more of a theological lecture kind of sermon than we normally do. So there's going to be a lot of stuff here, and it's all going to be on the test. Um, the three, just kidding, the three big ideas, though, are this. I want to give you these three big ideas. The first is uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. So who is he? The second thing is the works of the Holy Spirit in every believer. 
And then the third thing we're going to talk about, and that'll be the shortest one, is the gifts of the Holy Spirit in individual believers. So sometimes he works, he works with everybody in certain ways, and then with individual people, he gives them different gifts. And we're going to talk about those, and we're going to try to do this in a way where we say, okay, we want to understand the Holy Spirit through what Scripture says. Okay, so let's jump into this. So first, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this whole outline is in the um, booklet thing, if you want to copy and paste that too. So we'll start with the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start with this. The Holy Spirit is a person, okay? I think even if you won't admit this to me or even to yourself, most of the time when you think about the Holy Spirit, you think about the force from Star Wars, okay? Or some sort of a, like a power, like a force, like Eastern religions, right? He's the force behind everything. And that is... Or, you know, like my friend who says, uh, the universe decided this, and it's just sort of this nebulous... Whatever. No, that's not what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit like a person because he is. Now, there's so many verses. This is not going to be an exhaustive sermon, by the way. We're not going to cover everything, or we'll be here till Christmas, you know? But we're going to cover some of the big ones. But look, there's so many verses I could have chosen, but look at this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the, Ho- the, fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. What is fellowship? Shout it out, somebody relationships. It's hanging out. It's spending time with somebody and being real and having a relationship with them. You don't have a relationship with the force from Star Wars or with some weird force from Eastern religion kind of stuff, right? The Holy Spirit is an actual person. And he's talked about as a person who is also fully God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's a full-on member of the Trinity. Just like, just because we don't talk about him as much, because we stink doesn't mean he's any less God, right? He Like Cooper really is one of the Manning brothers, right? The Holy Spirit really is a member of the Trinity. And um, like, yeah, he's, I wrote this here. He's not an assistant member of the Trinity. It's not like there's the Father and the Son, and then there's the Holy Spirit who works for both of those guys. That's not exactly how that works. Um, I'll read you a verse here uh, from Acts 5. Now this, we're going to get to this. So can we not, uh, can you agree to just not think about this passage, except for the part I want you to think about. Um, This is where uh, Ananias and Sapphira lie about selling a piece of property, and then they die because of it. We're going to talk all about that in a few weeks. But Peter, uh, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Okay, who did he lie to? The Holy Spirit. Okay, that's important. And to keep back some of the, the proceeds of the land for yourself. While, while it remained unsold, uh, didn't remain your own. And after it was sold, this part's not important for what we're talking about. Um, was it not at your disposal? Okay, here we go. So you've lied to the Holy Spirit at the beginning. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. So in one breath, he says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in the next breath, he says you've lied to God because God, uh, the Holy Spirit is God. And so if the Spirit is God, that means that he's also eternal and holy. By the way, most of these headers, where did I steal this from? Oh, yeah, I took these from Chan's book, Forgotten God, some of these headers, and I filled it out. A lot of this sermon is pilfered, by the way, just so you know. If you want to know where I got all this stuff, you can text me later. Um, so the Holy Spirit is eternal and holy. Um, the, er, the very beginning, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So before creation... And again, we're not going to exegete this passage. I just want you to see at the very beginning of creation, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit. He's there before God made anything. And then we also talk about the Holy Spirit as holy. How do we know the Holy Spirit is holy? 
This is his name, right? <laughs> yeah. Holy Spirit, right? Uh, what holy means is separated from sin. That's what holy means. It's like the, the word actually means like uh, to cut, I think, like to cut something in half. So there's two, you know, there's a separateness to it. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's so, uh, he's not like us. We're soaked in sin. We're dirty. Holy means away from that. And that's what he is. Let's keep going. The Holy Spirit has his own mind and he prays for us. This is kind of cool. You know, Rene Descartes, the philosopher, you know this guy? What did he say? Who knows what he said? I think, therefore, I am. Now, uh, Descartes was trying to, what he was trying to do was, he was trying to figure out what can we actually prove? What can we know for certain? And the only thing, he, at first he said, I, we can't know anything. And then he realized something, but I'm trying to figure it out, which means at least I know I have being, right? Because I'm thinking. So I think, therefore, uh, I am. The Holy Spirit uh, is often pushed to the back burner and he's thought of as an it, right? A force, uh, not a sentient being, but the Bible presents him as a thinking being, right? Somebody who has this, uh, his own mind, right? He exists because, you know, he thinks Romans 8, uh, 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is what the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a cool verse. So the spirit has his own mind and he's praying for who? With his own mind, he prays. You ever think about that? Jesus, this is kind of weird when we talk about the spirit is he prays. He talks to the father. He prays to the father. Jesus prayed to the father all the time and nobody said boo, right? And then we, the spirit does it and we're like, oh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? But it makes perfect sense, right? The spirit is praying. And who is he praying for? He has his own mind, his own will, all this stuff. And who does he pray for? He intercedes for you. That's cool. The Spirit fills you, and then he prays for you. We'll talk about that more in a minute, too. Um, the Spirit has emotions. Part of being a real being is having real emotions. Just like, I mean, okay, I got to say this, too, though, about the emotions of God. Uh, we don't want to make a one-to-one -one human emotions and God's emotions. Okay, when the God talks about certain things, what he does is he, the bio, uh, theologians call it condescending. He condescends to us. He uses language that we would understand to try to sort of describe himself, but it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. So when we say God gets angry, that's not the same way I get angry when I pretty much drive anywhere because everybody can't drive. You know what I mean? Like that's a different kind of anger than the anger of God or when God is joyful or happy. Like there's something, God is so different from us, but he's using this language. And so it's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has emotions, right? We, we're told that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think that's important. Um, oh, wait, there was one from Ephesians too. Oh, wait, that is Ephesians. Sorry. And then this one from Hebrews. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned by profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and then this is the last part here, this is the important part, and is outraged the spirit of grace, right? So we're told we can grieve him. We're told we can make the spirit mad. Think about that for a second, though, that the Holy Spirit has emotions and responds to when you pray and responds to you, just like you would imagine Jesus or the Father does. Uh, the sixth thing, the Holy Spirit has his own desires and his own will, uh, what is a will? Do you guys know? You ever take like philosophy class? What is a will? It's like basically, I mean, there's a lot of argument over what a will is, but it's basically um, a desire to make decisions one way or another, 
right? I want to do this. That's what a will is, right? I want to get Moe's for dinner. That's the will of God, probably. He wants us to get Moe's for dinner. Um, <laughs> uh, First Corinthians tells us that the Spirit has a will, right? Um, the, uh, these were empowered, one of the same Spirit, who apportions to each, this is talking about spiritual gifts and stuff, um, each one individually as he wills. So we'll talk about spiritual gifts in a moment. And what we'll learn is that everybody in the church has a spiritual gift, and that is not up to you. You don't get to go, I want to be whatever. We'll talk about those in a minute. We get these gifts because the Spirit dishes them out as he wants to, right? It's up to him, not up to us. The seventh idea here, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. You guys know what those means? That's going to be on the test. All right, what's omnipotent? What's that? All-powerful, omnipresent, he's everywhere, and omniscient, he knows everything. Yeah, so let's do the first one here. Uh, Omnipotent, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Okay, so if God created us, that means he can basically do whatever he wants. And it says, the Spirit created me. That's the hardest thing you can do. So if you ask, can the Spirit do the hardest thing ever? Yeah, he did it. So that means he can do everything else too. Uh, the second one is he's everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? That's kind of a cool idea. Everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit is there. Um, uh, oh, wait, let me... And then the third one, omniscient. He knows everything. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Okay, so the Spirit knows everything. Think about that. Think about the implications of those three things. That's kind of cool. Wherever you go, the Spirit is with you. Whatever you're facing, he has the power to handle it. And whatever you're going through, he knows about it and he understands what you're going through. That's kind of cool. So that's who the Spirit is. That's our first big header. Our second big header is how does this, what does he do? Right? So that's who he is. That's fine. But if we don't know what he does, it's like who cares who he is? Right? How does, he, how does this matter to us? So this is the works of the Holy Spirit in all believers. So this applies to everybody in the room, no matter what. Okay. The first thing is the Holy Spirit purifies and transforms us. So he cleanses us from sin, sanctifying us. He makes us new is the idea. He's the one who takes the work of Jesus and actually applies it to your life. Jesus says, I freed you from the power of sin. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and he takes you away from sin. He washes you up. Um, Look at these verses here. Uh, And from 1 Corinthians 6. As such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So the Spirit does it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Having saved us, this is from Titus, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So he washes and he renews you. And then there's this one from Galatians. This is who he turns you into when the Spirit gets in there and he starts working on your life. Okay, this doesn't describe anybody ever. Okay, that's what I like about the fruit of the Spirit passage. There's nobody that you're like, oh, naturally, you know, that's my Uncle Jeff. No, your Uncle Jeff is horrible. Okay, but when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of people, this is what he turns them into. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and self-control. Right? That's quite a list. And so when the Spirit works in your life, this is what He's doing. He's in there, He's rearranging the furniture, He's turning, you know, He's cleaning things up. He's turning you into this. The second thing, so He, he, that's the first thing. He purifies and He transforms you. The second thing is He's a unifier. And we'll read about this more in the next few weeks, but the Holy Spirit brings people together who have no earthly business being together. 
This is what I always say about church. I want our church to have a picnic at the park, and I want people to walk by and go, I wonder how they all know each other. Right? I think that's a great-looking church. I'd rather have that than like a mega church. You know what I mean? That's all exactly the same. This is what the Spirit does. Um, Ephesians. This is from Ephesians, right? It talks about the unity of the Spirit. So because the Spirit is working in your life, and the Spirit is working in my life, and we're both filled with the same Holy Spirit— we have a bond that is stronger than any earthly bond, right? This is why I can be friends. Oh, wait, you're from LA, huh? Wait, don't listen to this part. This is why I can be friends with Dodger fans who are believers. The other ones, get away from me. No, I'm just kidding. But this is why, like, I have pastor buddies and we can text each other about the Dodgers and make jokes because the bond of the Holy Spirit within us is way stronger than the bond than what would normally divide us, which is that I like a real team and they like the Dodgers. Um, okay, so third thing, <laughs> the Holy Spirit reveals. Now, what I mean by this is there, there are things in the world that you don't know that the Holy Spirit will teach you. He's a teacher. That's a good way to put this too. The first is he inspires, he reveals to us through scripture. And we've been talking about this in the How to Study the Bible class, but the Holy Spirit inspires scripture. Um, the second thing, though, he does is he illuminates scripture. So he inspired the original writing. And then as you read it, he lights it up in your life. Um, this is from 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of Corinthians in this because there's a lot of stuff about the Spirit in Corinthians. Uh, now, we received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So we've received the Holy Spirit who is from God. Why? That we, may, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So when he comes in, he helps us understand the things that are given to us by God. That's the scripture. This is especially true with the basics of the gospel. Okay, so... Uh, the Spirit helps us actually believe the gospel story when every part of our fallenness and the, the enemy is in our ear trying to teach us the opposite, right? The Spirit helps us actually believe this. Yes, we don't deserve this, but God really is amazing. He actually is, and he is not going to hold this sin against me, this thing that I am just feeling so much shame about right now. The Spirit will come in your ear, and he will say, you know what? You know that, that gospel that John teaches every week and we sing about every week and we take communion to remember every week? The Spirit whispers in your ear, yeah, that's actually true. That God is not going to hold this sin against you. He illuminates that truth in your life. He also guides and directs his people. Now, this is where I, I, this gets a little tricky. For we are all led by the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God. And, uh, you know, sorry, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, we want to be careful here about a few errors. This is where this starts to get abused. Being led by the Spirit is not an excuse to just get your way in a situation where church people are trying to make a decision. Right? I was joking earlier about Moe's, but if I seriously was like, I feel like the Spirit is telling us we need to get Moe's for dinner tonight, we would be in some trouble because I don't think that. I mean, it's true, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we should get Moe's. Being led by the Spirit is not about subjective feelings. Right? And being led by the Spirit is also never contradictory to Scripture. You have no idea how many times I've heard somebody say, yeah, well, I feel led by the Spirit to do something that the Bible says I shouldn't do. And I'm like, well, that's not the Spirit, guy. That's not how that works. And Or somebody will say, I have this feeling that I, you know, a lot of times when people are trying to pass off this led by the Spirit, it's just feeling. So what is it? Being led by the Spirit is this, that you are so transformed by grace and you are so filled with the Spirit and open to His guiding that he puts very godly ideas into your mind and he guides you into them. For instance, imagine you're having 
uh, one of your pap's friends over for dinner or something, and they're telling you about life, and uh, you're really excited to tell them because you just got a huge bonus at work. Okay, Christmas bonus, whatever. And then before you get to tell them that, though, they start talking to you about life and how they're struggling and this and that. And you can tell they're just really stressed out. Bill's piling up the whole thing. And then it pops into your head when John says at church all the time that we bless people in ways nobody else would. And you look over at your shelf and you see your bonus check. And you go, I feel the prompting of the Spirit to help this person out. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is not, the Spirit told me that you should do something for me. <laughs> right? Being led by the Spirit is these godly ideas that we talk about every week. The Spirit will go into your life and he will say, hey, you should maybe actually do that thing. And I mean, I'm not saying you have to give your paycheck to people. I'm, that was just an example. It could be something else, offering somebody a ride somewhere. It could be you know, like you feel the prompting of your spirit that some sin in your life that you're not taking very seriously, you need to start taking more seriously. And you need to show up and talk to somebody at church about it so you have a buddy who can help you, right? These are the kind of things I'm talking about. This is the prompting of the spirit. Now, living that kind of life, though, following the prompting of the spirit is really hard. And that's why we have this next thing, that the Holy Spirit empowers us. He not only gives you the idea, he gives you the power and the strength inside to do that thing. Um, this is from Acts 1.8. You will be, you will receive power. Remember, I told you we're going to read this every week when we do Acts. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we talked about how that word power is dunamis. It means like, you know, power, you know, something exploded. That power to do the ministry comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul says it like this. Um, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He's talking to the Corinthians, and he's saying, you remember when I showed up, and uh, we'll get to the whole story when he plants the church in Corinth later on, and we had all this opposition, and uh, we planted this church, and all these people came to faith. He goes, that wasn't because I was so smart. That was a demonstration of what the Holy Spirit's power looks like. Let's keep going. This is a fun one. The Spirit, this is something else he does. The Spirit prays for us, like I was talking about earlier. He, he specifically, one of the works he does in our lives is he prays for all of us. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. And in the middle, kind of towards the end of that chapter, there's this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You guys know that verse, right? We know that all things work together for good for those called according to his purpose. We always quote that verse, and not a lot of people talk about the verses right before it. Why does everything good happen for us and God work things out for us? Because the Holy Spirit is praying for us. I want you to try to imagine a situation. You're trying to buy a car, um, but, there's, but you're in a foreign country. Okay, you're, you're overseas somewhere, you're on House Hunters International, and uh, you know, you're wherever and you're trying to buy a car. By the way, when I used to drive for Uber, I had a guy who I drove around, he was telling me he was on that show, and he said the way it works is he had already bought a house, and they came to him and was like, hey, we need you to empty everything out of your house so we can pretend like you're about to buy it. So that, anyway, I'm very upset about this, but let's pretend it's real. You're on House Hunters International, you're somewhere else, you just bought a house, you need to go buy a car. Uh, there's two problems. One is you're an idiot and you don't know anything about cars. And two, second problem is you don't speak the language. So you get an interpreter to come with you. 
and you say to the guy selling the car, I want to buy this car for 50 grand. Tell him, interpreter. And so then the interpreter, he says, knowing you're an idiot and knowing the other language, he goes, he wants this car for 20 grand. So the interpreter is fixing your stupidity. And then the guy responds, 30 grand. And the interpreter says, 25. And that's all you're going to get. And then you buy a car for half of what you originally offered it for because you're too stupid to buy a car in another language. That's what the Holy Spirit does when you pray. Right? It's a crude illustration of how prayer works. God, I really want my kid to go to Harvard someday. And then the Holy Spirit says, pass that message on for me. And then the Holy Spirit turns to the Father and he says, hey, John's praying right now and he's saying all kinds of dumb stuff, but here's what he really needs. <laughs> he needs for you to fill his kids with your presence and to save them and to send them to city where he can afford it or something like that, right? Like, you know what I mean? He, he translates for us these stupid things that we pray. And that's kind of a cool idea, isn't it? Doesn't that take, here's why that's cool, okay? We should try to be prayer warriors and everything, but at the same time, it's also good to know we don't have to be perfect at this. Let's just go. Let's go talk to the Lord. Let's let him transform us in prayer, understanding that no matter what dumb stuff we say, <laughs> The Spirit's going to fix it in translation on the way up. The sixth thing, the Holy Spirit lets himself be resisted. This is the last thing in the works of the Spirit. Okay, so this happens in two ways, with unbelievers. So this is Stephen's speech in Acts. We'll get to this. But he tells the Sanhedrin guys, um, uh, you always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did so to you, right? So he's telling these unbelievers, the Spirit is pressing on your lives and you guys are resisting him. But then also, two believers we see this, that Paul writes to the church in uh, Thessalonica, do not quench the Spirit, right? So the Spirit was trying to press in on this church as well, and they were pushing him away. And this is what I think most Western American believers, this is the relationship we have with the Spirit. We want what he has to offer. We want the power of the Spirit. We want to be filled. We want the experience of being united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. We want those feelings but at the same time, we need him to be the assistant manager. Okay, we don't, we can't have him running the show. Stay over there, and then when I need you, I'll go get you, and I'll bring you to church. And that's an absolutely misguided way to interact with the Holy Spirit. Because when we do that, when we take that attitude of we're just going to let the Spirit kind of sit on the outskirts, we're missing on all these wonderful things he has to offer us. And the last big major heading, and this will be the quickest one, is... One of the things we're going to miss out is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, I'm going to read these two passages. There's a lot to read here, so we're in a, I'm going to go through these two passages. There's a couple of paragraphs here about the gifts of the Spirit. But these are the two main passages. There's some other ones too, but uh, this one starts in, in Romans 12. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of it. Having So, the, Paul uses this illustration a lot, that we're a body with a bunch of parts. In Corinthians, he gets a little more specific. He goes, you know, one guy's a finger and one guy's an eyeball. And the finger can't say to the eyeball, well, I don't need you. You know, it's all part of the body, right? Um, if one part hurts, the whole body hurts, right? If you chopped off my index finger and then you asked me, John, how are you doing? I wouldn't say, oh, my neck feels good today. I would say my finger hurts. <laughs> Because it's gone, you know, well, what was my finger hurts, right? Okay, so this is the illustration. We're all connected. Having gifts that differ according, verse, uh, what is that, six? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service, so these are the gifts, if service in one serving to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that's one kind of list of the Spirit. Here's the other one, the gifts of the Spirit. Here's the other one from Corinthians. Uh, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul says, look, this is important to know. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Okay, now here we get into it. Now, there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. So the same Spirit gives different gifts to different people in the church, but it's all the same guy giving these gifts. There's a variety of acts of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Okay, so those are kind of some of the lists. There's actually a few more spots where he talks about, where Paul talks about gifts of the Spirit. But here's what I want to do, just real quick. Three major ideas about the gifts of the Spirit. The first one is this. These gifts are for ministry, not personal spiritual experience. So when God gives you a gift, one of those gifts, teaching, right? My gift of teaching, and I, you know, after 20 years of teaching the Bible, I'm hoping that that's the one that I have. Uh, but my gift of teaching, it's not for me to go home and study the Bible and go look at how smart and great I am. Until, I mean, although that's great, I want to study the Bible and I want to learn and experience the Lord. But this gift was given to me so that I could stand here on Sundays and teach you guys and you go home knowing a little bit more than you did, right? This gift is for the people, right? It's for the body. That's the first thing, not for a spiritual experience. And I think that's important when we're talking about the gift of tongues, because a lot of people will say the gift of tongues in the Bible is just about me and God, and it doesn't involve anybody else, but that's not really how it's presented in the Bible, right? All of these gifts are supposed to be for building up the body. The second thing is, it's good that we don't all have the same gifts because we're a body. This is, right, if everybody was a teacher, we would all be sitting in church doing what I do when I sit through sermons, which is going, yeah, I know. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean? We, or what if everybody in the church had the gift of like giving, but nobody had the gift of teaching and nobody had the gift of serving or love or whatever, right? We would be a rich church that didn't like each other and didn't know anything. <laughs> That's not helpful. And so the, the, the scriptures talk about, right, like I said, the finger doesn't get to say to the eye or the toe or whatever, uh, you're not as important as me, right? I'm the nose. Okay, great, you're the nose. But we all have these gifts. We're all part of the body. Here's the third thing, the last thing. These are supernatural gifts, not natural talent. Now, a lot of times the natural talent will line up with gifts. I will say, I, like, when I was a kid, um, I was, uh, God built me with all the things I think that you need to be a preacher. So like when I was a kid, I could memorize the whole, I was in a play. I was in a Jackie Robinson play. I was in the Wizard of Oz, like in elementary school, like heaven's age. I memorized the whole play. I had like a crazy good memory for that kind of stuff. Never one time have I been uh, nervous to get in front of a crowd of people. The bigger the crowd, the easier it is, right? A lot of people, what's that Seinfeld bit about? 
the number one fear in the world is public speaking, and number two is death. So, like, at a funeral, more people would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy, right? But I've, like, never had a fear of public speaking. I'm kind of smart, but I'm not that smart. And I'm, like, right in the sweet spot where I can figure things out, but it takes me a minute, which helps me break things down and teach them to people. So, like, those are all natural kind of talents, but that's not the gift that goes along with the gift of teaching, right? So a lot of times they will line up, but they're not always the same thing. So just because... Like, let's say the gift of humility. If you're shy, that's not the gift of humility, right? The gift of humility is I think about other people more than I think about myself in a supernatural way. And so like the gift of teaching is I would get up and teach and somebody would come to me. Somebody comes to me and says, wow, I felt like the Lord said to me something. That's the gift of teaching, right? Not just explaining stuff and whatever, right? It's a super, they're supernatural gifts. Okay, so that's the Holy Spirit. Right? That's our three parts about the Holy Spirit. Who he is, what he does, and how he gives gifts to his people. So then the closing is, what do we do about it? Who cares? Right? Three things I want you to think about. The first is read Acts together. Good. We're already doing that. Um, the book of Acts, you're going to see a lot of stuff in here about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about our church while we do it. I want you to think about your own faith and your own walk and what you're contributing to church and how the Holy Spirit plays into that. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Ask yourself hard questions. Okay. Um, uh, in the book, Francis Chan's book, he has an illustration where he goes like this. If I came to you and I said that the Holy Spirit has filled me and made me really good at basketball. Okay. Wouldn't you expect me to be really good at basketball? Right, like in a way that's not like a natural, oh yeah, John can kind of shoot. Right, you'd, you'd watch me play. If I really was filled with the Spirit for the sole purpose of being good at basketball, you'd be like, why is this 5'9 little white guy dropping dimes, dunking, you know, 100% free throws? That would you expect. The church goes like this. We tell everybody, yeah, we're filled with the Spirit. And then we suck at basketball. <laughs> right, and so what we need to do is ask ourselves the hard questions. If we're out there pretending that this is what we believe, then where's the fruit? Where is it happening? And if we kind of like go through our Christian walk, avoiding those questions, you know, like, like a running back running through a thing, you know, avoiding everybody, that's kind of how we do. We don't like those questions, so we avoid them. And we never really have time to sit and analyze and ask these hard questions and go, what is going on? And get over that hump. Right? And so part of the reason I'm reading the book of Acts is because I think this is an area where our church needs to grow. And it, as we do that, we need to ask these hard questions. And then here's the last thing. Put yourself into situations where you actually need the Holy Spirit to show up. Okay. Um, the dumb pastor's illustration. I don't even like using this because every pastor uses the illustration 100,000 times, but it's good. You guys remember Indiana Jones? Okay. So what was the... F no, it was... The one with the Holy Grail, I think. And he gets to that, the big, like, uh, gorge thing, and he realizes there's an invisible bridge. You remember this? To get to the Holy Grail. And he has to step out on the bridge. And then when he steps, then it catches him. But you don't really know until you step out there and jump. Right? Okay. Usually, pastors talk about faith. This is what faith is, yada, yada. We're putting that off the side. I just think that's a good illustration for what we need to do with the Holy Spirit. We need to step out and we need to lean forward and put ourselves in situations where if the Spirit doesn't catch us, we're screwed. Right? Pardon my French. 
But like we need to be in these situations. And I think we're so we spend so much time trying to be comfortable. We spend so much time thinking about, well, what if my pap's blue ribbon person says this back to me? What if I put my heart out there and they say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Okay. You know, like that stuff happens. Sometimes you step out there and it it doesn't go very well, but what we'll regularly see with the people in the new Testament, this early church, as we read the book of Acts is they are constantly doing this. They're putting themselves in situations where if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, that guy's probably going to chop my head off. And maybe he'll will anyway, even if the Holy Spirit shows up. But then people will get saved and that sort of stuff. They're putting themselves in these situations. And I think American churches especially don't like to do that. And so think for yourself individually, okay, what is a way, what's a way that you can do this for yourself? And then think of us as a church. How can you help our church move into this kind of life where we step out into situations? Like, okay, I'll give you one illustration of how we've done this. This isn't like bragging. I'm just giving you, this is the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Um, But when Josue came to me, I looked at our budget and I went, we can't afford this even a little bit. (laughs) We're already running out of money. You know, this is never going to work. And then I prayed about it and I sucked it up. And I, I mean, this was kind of just a, we didn't, I didn't even open this up to you guys. I just said, you know what? We're taking Josue on for a year. We're going to see what happens. I'm not going to be dead and wish that we, you know, hadn't helped him and Wendy as they get going. And that was one of those things. So we stretched what we're doing and some more funding came in. I think the spirit showed up in a lot of ways with Josue and Wendy and with their church getting launched. But that's the kind of stuff. I want to stretch who we are as a church. And part of that's why we're reading the book of Acts together. Um, is because we want to be uh, that kind of church. So let's pray. Let's close. That, that's where we'll close.